There it is. Okay, the parasha of Ayishlach is the parasha of, uh, is, is packed with information about Yaakov Avinu that's very important. Now, you have to decide, we have to decide how we're going to look at it. Like, what are we going to look at? So I would like to look at, what I would like to look at is the travels of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu came to Eretz Yisrael, but there was no rest for the weary. First he met up with Asaph, right? This is not on the sheet, but just reminding ourselves. First he met up with Asaph, and then after, you know, there was a story, he didn't get along with Asaph, he didn't get along with Asaph. <laughs> and then he had this fight, this, uh, he had a fight with the agent of Asaph, in which apparently he did well, he, Yaakov Avinu, did well, but um, it left a kind of a blemish, this battle that Yaakov had with Esau. And Yaakov won, but he limped away. It was like, it was a victory, but you remember the war. It's like, uh, it's like wars. I mean, if you win the war, the people who die are remembered sadly. Right? It's not, uh, there's no contradiction, no contradiction there. And then, uh, after he, he sort of makes up with Esau, after he makes up with Esau, the, the, the terrorist says, embrace Islamic Gimel, Vayomer that's like the first mention of traveling. Yaakov and Esau are going to go someplace. Um, and then, then you have this strange idea. Remember, there's a long story of Yaakov and Esau. After that story is over, Yaakov has to go someplace. So the Torah says that Yaakov nasa sukota, vayven lo bayit. Sukot. I mean, it's a mystery. Yaakov Avinu went someplace. Sukot sounds like a temporary resolution. He came to a place where he would stay temporarily. Because after all, it's a, a sukkah, is a bayit arai. So that really Yaakov Avinu was going someplace else. He wasn't going to where he was. But it was hard to move the family, the wives, the children, the flocks. So he had to take a, uh, an interim step. And that interim step is in Paraglamidu Posigazayan, the Yaakov Nasa Sukkotah which sounds like he went to a place called Sukkot, but the Pasuk itself says, that, that even though the Torah says that he went to Sukkot, really he went to a place that had no name. And it was given the name Sukkot because Yaakov Avidu was there. So the first thing we see about Yaakov Avidu is that he, he had a temp... He, his lodging, his first lodging in Eretz Israel is temporary. But it, 
It's not permanent. And immediately after that pasuk, immediately after that pasuk, the Torah says, "Vayavo Yaakov shalem ishchem." Yaakov came and he was whole. He was un. He was perfect, unblemished. And Rashi says, "Shalem, shalem begufo shenitrapei mitzalato." That he was, he was cured of his limp the limp that he had, Shalem the Mamono, and he had all the money that he came with, Shalom Hasaklu Mikoloto Doron, and he didn't give Esav anything. He was ready to give him, but Esav said, I don't need you, I don't need it, I have plenty, so he had that. Shalom Talmud, Shalem she says, that Yaakov Avinu didn't forget any of the Torah that he learned in the yeshiva of Shem Be'eva, even though he was in the house of Lovon all those years. So that was Shalem. Shalem. Now we know that Shechem is going to be a problem. We know there's a problem connected to Shechem. We know that because the Torah says about Avram Avinu. You remember Avram Avinu? Several weeks ago. Avram Avinu Lech Lecha, right? Avram Avinu, remember that? Vayavor Avram, Avram, his name's not Avram yet. Vayavor Avram Ba'aretz, Ad Mekom Shechem, Aralon Moreh, Vachnani Az Ba'aretz. That's what the Pasuk said, that the first place in Eretz Yisrael that Avram Avinu came to, well, Shechem, now if anybody here has ever been to Shechem, you know that it's not an easy trip. <coughs> Shechem is built high up on the, on the ridge. And you have to travel. What was he going to Shechem for? Why couldn't he go to someplace friendly and peaceful? So Rashi says, <coughs> Rashi says, Ad Mekom Shechem. Rashi, right, I'm in Perak Yud Bet. In Lech Lecha. Perak Yud Bet. Pasuk Vav. Ad mikom shechem litpalel al b'nei Yaakov kisheyavou lhilachem b'shechem. So that Avram Avinu already determines that Shechem is a problematic place. And what, what he could do at that time was to go there and David for the sons of Yaakov who are going to have difficulty in Shechem. Now, if we go back to our story, I believe Avram Avinu, go back to Yaakov, the Pasuk says, Yaakov Shalem. Yaakov was Shalem. Right? He, his physical, he was physically Shalem. He was financially Shalem. And he knew all the Torah that he'd ever learned before he went to the house of, of Lavan. That's Shalem. That's really Shalem. Yaakov Shalem. Ishchem. The Pesach doesn't tell us why Yaakov Avinu went to Shechem, but we knew from Avram Avinu that he was on his way, that he was going to go to Shechem. There'll be a big problem. And it says, Vayichan et Peneha. Peneha means the face of the city. Vayichan means a chanaya. He, he kind of parked himself in a place which faced the city. 
Right? Rashi says, he made a machanet, he made a camp, he camped there, and Rashi says, Erev Shabbat Hayah. That's why he didn't go any further. And that comes from the Sheilta, that's, that's in Rashi. So then you have the story. Uh, there's a story of Dina. Uh, before the story of Dina, the Pasuk says, Eventually he bought the place that he camped in, and since uh, Yaakov Avinu was like Avram Avinu, and Avram Avinu taught that even though Eretz Yisrael belongs to him, but in order to deal with the, uh, with the people who lived there, he would buy Marata Machpelah, right? You remember that story, Chayei Sarah. I mean, maybe there's a lesson in that for us as well. Maybe. I can't say that there is or there isn't. You know how it is with lessons? If you think it's a lesson, it's a lesson. If you don't think it's a lesson, so it's not a lesson. So, uh, so what did Avram Avinu do? Avram Avinu said, I own the Maratha Machpelah, but I can't get rid of these people who, they, who also think they own the Maratha Machpelah, so I'll buy it. Like, you know, it's like a little strange to buy something that you own. But Avramavinu thought you should do it. So here's, here's Yaakov. Yaakov sets up his tents outside of the city of Shechem. Usually outside of the city, it didn't belong to anybody. Because everybody wanted to live in the city where there was a wall protecting them. Nevertheless, Yaakov Avinu bought that land... Right, he paid hard cash. Hard cash wasn't a check, wasn't a credit card. He paid real money for this place, which may have belonged to Hamor and Shechem, but maybe not. Maybe he didn't, but, but since Hamor and Shechem represented the municipality of Shechem, they took the money, and Yaakov gave them the money. Okay? And then Yaakov Avinu built a Mizbeach. Right? You have to remember, Yaakov Avinu is following in the footsteps of Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, wherever Avraham Avinu went, the Torah says that he built a Mizbeach. However, what is it that Avraham Avinu did not do? What did he not do? Ever. He never sacrificed on those Mizbechot. Because Avram Avinu knew that sacrifice could only take place on Haramoria. And so that it made sense to Avram Avinu. When HaKadosh Bochu said to Avram Avinu, And then that the sacrifice the sacrifice would be, there would be a sacrifice, but on Haramoria. And whatever happened there, whatever ensued, is not, is not important. But I have to understand that Yaakov Avinu also, refers to what? To the Mizbeach. He, he, he made a place. That's what Yaakov Avinu did. 
But you know that we have that, like our tradition, in our traditions, but we always have this kind of tension between the notion that God is every place and the notion that God is some place. Right? That's what the, 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 the Zohar says all the time, that God is, surrounds the world and God is in the world. What do we always say? God is every place. But there's also a Beit HaMikdash. There is such a thing. So that what did Yaakov Avinu do? Yaakov Avinu said, Yaakov Avinu says, I'm making a place where God is recognized. Why is God recognized this place? Because I'm here. My family is here. The people who are with me are here. So I made a place. That's the, that's the amazing uh, uh, koach that Am Yisrael inherited from Avraham and Yaakov. And then Perik Lavadalit, that's what we're up to, is Perik Lavadalit, the story about Dina, Shimon and Levi. I mean, everybody knows the story. Everybody knows the story. It was either a good story or a bad story, a happy ending or not a happy ending, as uh, Binyamin asked before. I don't know. I don't know if it's happy or it's not happy. But we all know the story. Now, uh, after, after that story, the story of, uh, of Yaakov, Shimon and Levi, and Dina, and Shem and Hamor. It's like a little play. You have all these characters involved in the story. The Pesach says, the Pesach, Vayomi Yaakov, the last two Pesukim in the Torah, Vayomi Yaakov, Shimon Levi, You did a terrible thing. You made, you made me muddy, unclean, dirty. Like by, by, by killing those people. Why? Because I'm going to, I'm going to look bad in, in the, in, amongst the nations of the land or the communities of the land. Prizi is one of the seven nations and Knani is like a name for all the seven nations. The Knani, the Prizi, exactly where they they were, these nations, is not clear to me at the moment. But I don't know if that's, if that's important. Vani, mitei mispar. And I, you could put, substitute we, are few in number. I mean, how many of us are there compared to the nations of Canaan? And they will get together because of what happened, because of what Shimon and Levi did. And they will get together and they will do our sin. That's what the Pesach says. That's Yaakov's last comment on the story of Dino. And this is followed by one more comment by Yomru. Shimon and Levi respond. They respond and they say, We're going to allow them to make our sister into a wanton woman, a prostitute. That's what they say. So in terms of the discussion, of course, Yaakov Avinu had, um, had the authority. He was Yaakov Avinu. If he said that it was a terrible thing, it's a terrible thing. However, we have no evidence that what Yaakov Avinu said would happen actually happened. He said that the nations of Eretz Canaan would rebel and go against Yaakov and his family, we have no evidence of that. Anyway, so it seems from that point of view that you could argue that Shimon and Levi were right. 
But now we get to the story that interests us. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to, uh, is that, yeah, here it is. It's on the sheet. We're up to the sheet. So in other words, up to now, Yaakov Avidu came to Eretz Yisrael and the story of Yaakov and Esau. Then Yaakov Avidu went to Sukkot where he had a temporary, he was able to establish temporary lodging. And then after that, he went to Shechem where he may have established permanent lodging. He bought the land that he lived in, but he couldn't stay. Right? The, 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 the situation, the evolving situation did not allow Yaakov Avinu to stay in, in Shechem. So, Vayomer Elohim Yaakov, Kuma Sham. So, in other words, it turns out that the Torah, the way the Torah tells the story, it had to happen. Because Baruch is not saying to Yaakov Avinu, go to Beitel because that's a good place to run away to. But HaKadosh Baruch say to Yaakov Avinu, go to Beitel. That's where you should go. So then we have to, uh, we have to just remember, we have to remember w- what Beitel is. So we know that when Yaakov Avinu left Eretz Yisrael, it's not perfectly clear, but he was simultaneously in Yerushalayim and in Beit El. Like there was this ladder. You know, ladders have two ends. So you could, like, think of the ladder as being in the place of the lower end and in the place of the upper end, right? You could think of that. Somehow, Beit El and Yerushalayim are both involved in Yaakov Avinu leaving the country, Sakurish Baruch says, Kum alei Beit El v'shev sham, v'asei sham mizbeach lakel hanir'eh Right? In other words, this is for a full circle. Where the first time Yaakov Avinu was in Beit El, it symbolized his leaving Eretz Yisrael, his inability to stay in Eretz Yisrael. Now HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, uh, uh, says to him, go back to Beit El, and... Um, Go back to Beit El, v'asei sham mizbeach. V'akel ha'nira elecha b'varchacha v'pnei eisav achicha. So this is full circle. So Yaakov Avinu comes to Eretz Yisrael, Yaakov and Eisav. Then he goes to Sukkot, then he goes to Shechem, and now he's in Beit El. So without being directed, Yaakov Avinu says in the next pasuk, v'ayomi Yaakov Beito v'el kol asher imo. So Yaakov Avinu gives a very, very specific directive to all the people in his household. And that directive is interesting because the only thing you can compare it to Right? Hasiru, I'm sorry. Hitaharu, Vachlifu Simlotechem. The only thing you can compare that to is Matan Torah. That's what happened to B'nai Yisrael. That's what B'nai Yisrael were directed to do with Matan Torah. And that's what Yaakov Avinu says to his family, to his entourage. He says, We're going to Beit El. This is not just another stop. 
This is the most important thing that ever happened. And so, Yaakov Avinu says, Hasiru et Now the word Nechar, the word Nechar usually means the other, Nochri, uh, uh, the people who live in Eretz Yisrael. They're the, the Nochri. Hasiru Nechar. So it's interesting. This, this, uh, this uh, kind of um, use of the combination of words, you could have said, take away Avodazara. But that brings us to the question of what Avodazara? What Avodazara could there have been that Yaakov Avinu was referring to? Sarashi says, Hanichar. Sheyesh piyetchem mishalal shoshchem. So Rashi is telling us a story. He's saying when Shimon and Levi, when Shimon and Levi did what they did, so there was the winner and there was the loser. So the winner also got the spoils. And the spoils might have been objects that are related to Abu Dazara. I mean, in all these Shemite homes, they had the kind of little prayer rooms and they had something which had value and according to Rashi they took that stuff so that it may be according to Rashi that Yaakov is not saying you are idolaters but he said that you are like idolatry traders you know there are people like that you know the Chuvas used to be that uh, that certain places I think there's a Chuva in the Rosh about where the Jews can, uh, like there was a business, it was a Jewish business making crucifixes. You know, they're not exactly the business you might want to go into, but apparently for some Jews it was a very lucrative business. You know, they couldn't fulfill, they could never fill the demand. As many as they made, they were able to sell. But it was like a Shiloh. Is, is this somehow impinge on the prohibition of Avodah so the, 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 uh, the many, uh, many Rishonim who dealt with this question were matter it. They said that it has nothing to do with Avodah Zorah. It's not an Avodah. It's not something you do. It's just a symbol. And, uh, and it's fine. It's okay. You know, you could do that. But here, the question is, the question that we have is, well, what was the status of the people with these idols? So when I read the first Rashi, I could say, I could say that, that they had these idols, they had this Avodizora, but they didn't, not because they were owed their Avodizora, only because they were collectors. Maybe there was gold, maybe there was silver, maybe there was like, you know, things that are, that are uh, inlaid and, and, and decorated. And so they took all that stuff. But the next Rashi is more problematic because it says in the Pasuk, the second thing Yaakov said is, the taharu, tahara. Purify yourself. Purify yourself from what? So Rashi says, isn't that, isn't that here the Rashi? Me'avodazara. When we say purify from avodazara, you could say, well, maybe Rashi doesn't mean that they were real avodazara active type of personalities. Maybe it just means that it's another name, a synonym for idol. Itaru, purify yourself from the I, idols, purify yourself from the Avodah Or, it means purify yourself from what you've been doing. 
from this Avodah that you've been enjoying or being happy about. That's Hitaharu. Then it says, then it says, Hechlifu simlotechem. Hechlifu simlot. Change your outer garment. The Pesach says. And Rashi says, Shem yesh miyetchem ksut shel avodat kochavim. Maybe, maybe besides whatever else you took from the Shemites, you took these robes that they wore when they served the idol. So that's called Tashmishi Avodah Those are things that you use when you do Avodah and that's also forbidden. That's also forbidden. So, so this kind of brings us to a kind of a, like we have this problem. How could it be? I mean, it, in, in other words, I understand that in Parshanut, like I try to explain, the people say, Pshat. Pshat, pshat means the unencumbered version. Like you have it upon a posuk in the middle of, uh, of, of a train ride. And the posuk says, Yaakov Avinu said to his family, get rid of the Avodah So you say, oh, obviously they had Avodah uh, Obviously they were only Avodah Obviously Yaakov didn't know what was going on. He just like discovered suddenly that they were only Avodah That's one, that's shot. But, but there's another kind of shot. Let's say you know that I think Yaakov is a great righteous person. And he would never countenance Avodah in his household. And you know that Rachel is a very righteous woman. And you know that Leah, in spite of her uh, little bit of mean-spirited, she was also a very righteous person. And all the children, even though they were uh, also not always righteous in the righteous sense, but they, they knew that Avodah is out. I mean, to think that there was Avodah in the house of Yaakov at this time is incommensurate with Sechel HaYashar. Like, in other words, everybody says Pshat against some background. Like, you know, like, like uh, we, we didn't just meet Yaakov Avinu, we didn't just meet Rochel, we didn't just meet Leah. So what were they doing running around with the Zorah? So the Medrash says, I just want you to know that the Medrash says, an interesting thing. It's not on the sheet, but I'll tell you what the Medrash says. The major is quoted by the Rebbein Bechaya on the Pasuk. And the major says this, the man says, you know that the halacha is, the halacha is that the goy, who is Oved of Arizorah, I mean non-Jew, I don't mean to say, make it sound like a non-Jew is a bad thing, but the, the non-Jew who's Oved of Arizorah, let's say, like he's Oved of Arizorah with a, with a vase. And he wants to sell the vase to a Jew. Can he? No. The Jew can't buy something that's used for Avodah You can't own it. Because once you get it, your obligation, the halachic obligation, is that you destroy it. So it really doesn't exist as far as the Jews are concerned. If it falls into the hands of the Jews, it's a non-existing item. So a non-existing item you really can't, you can't have. Can't have it non-existent. That's the halacha. I hope that you all uh, follow are following me on that. That's the halacha. So the the medrash says, and it's called the Rabbeinu Bechaya, that that what they did, the, the sons of Yaakov, when they went to get all the stuff, all these vases, you know, that they wanted to collect, they told the goyim, 
the non-Jews who were the old day of Zohar, to be mevatel day of Zohar. You know what that means? Like they, they, they said, I'm not going to use this vase for Avodah anymore. If they said they're not going to use the vase for Avodah then you can buy it from them, or take it from them, or steal it from them, or whatever you want, and it becomes yours. Right? You know that that's a feature of stealing. When you steal something, it becomes yours. That doesn't mean that you don't have an obligation to give it back, or don't have an obligation to repay the loss. You would have that obligation. But stealing is a, is a, is a kind of, of a kinyan. Right? That's what stealing is. It belongs to you. So if you steal a cow, you have to take care of it. Right? If you steal a vase, you also take care of it. You have to make sure it doesn't get damaged. So listen again. What happened in Shechem? Shechem's full of Avodah Zorah. The Jews, Yaakov and his family, they wanted all this stuff, you know, that looked like it was Avodah Zorah's stuff. So they forced or made or agreed the, the non-Jews in Shechem to be Mavatel the Avodah Zorah. And so they were able to take it. So all the stuff that the Jews took, I mean, they took righteously. You can imagine people thinking in these terms, like, you know, they're having this battle, they're fighting a war, they're killing each other, uh, and the Jews are saying, uh, uh, could you please be this of so I could take it home with me? It seems odd, right? But what then is the pshat in the posuk according to this medrash? According to this medrash is quoted, I told you, in the, in the Rabbeinu B'chaya, what's the pshat in the posuk? Yaakov, who comes as a serial delegate, hey, what did he say? He said, I know it belongs to you. And I know that it's not a Vedizora. But it's a Chumrah. You know, we're going to Beidel. When you go to Beidel, you're not looking for halachic loopholes. You know, when you're going to kind of reconnect to the, uh, to the event of Beidel, to the, to the Spirit of God directing Yaakov and his family to come back to Eretz Israel. He says, then you're not going to go for halachic loopholes. So, hasirut Elohea Nechar doesn't mean, doesn't mean that they were really Avodah objects because, because they were Mufutal, Avodah means that that's what is, is the problem. The problem is that they come from them. They come from the foreigners. So they remain, have the stigma of Elohea Nechar. That's what the that's what the Rebbe quotes in the name of the Medrash. So what does the Medrash say? What does the Medrash say? The Medrash says that the Pesach doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to the Medrash. Okay, the Medrash says, what you mean, Yaakov Avinu? The household of Yaakov Avinu? Rochel, Leah? It's not possible. Those stories not possible. And therefore, they have to use this kind of creative way of restoring a reasonable pshat. Now, it doesn't mean that this is the necessary pshat. But which part of the pshat, according to the Chazal, is necessary? That there was no Avodah Zorah in the house of Yaakov Avinu. And that Yaakov Avinu here was talking about, was talking about any association with Avodah Zorah. Right? Remember about associations? Associations are also bad. You know, like, like once you get it inside of you, all that therapy, I mean, it helps. But there's times when it comes out. You know, like, you've got the therapy for 150 years, and you've exorcised that demon, 
annually, and then you find all of a sudden something happens and it's back again. Exorcising the demon is not an easy thing. So that the household of Yaakov Avinu that came from the household of Abodizora, right, Lavan and Besuel, even though we assume, we can assume, at least according to, according to Rashi, we can assume that the demon was exorcised. That Yaakov Avinu, I mean, he, he managed to explain to his wives what was going on. And they were certainly not idolaters. But they had some kind of connection. We can never, you never uh, uh, get rid of your, you know, it's like, uh, we'll see a little bit. Rav Nachman calls it Chotam. It's also in the Zohar. A Chotam. A Chotam is like a signet ring. You know, you have a signet ring, you put it into wax. You put it into the wax and you take it out. And what do you have? What happens to the wax? It has the image of the signet ring. Now, did you leave anything there in the wax? Did the ring there? No. So that's called a chotam. That's called a chotam. It's like, it's like a kind of residual. It's there. Even though you don't want it to be there. And so, what, according to this, according to this statement, Rabbeinu Bechayah and the Medrash, what, what Yaakov Avinu is trying to explain to us is that who you are is not only who you think you are or who you want to be but like deep inside of you there are all kinds of things that you thought you know they say people say we worked it out you know that uh, that phrase we worked it out I don't know what worked it out means that it was not good and now it's good that's called, that's worked it out, right? But worked it out doesn't mean that it went away. It may be forced to be a little dormant, like, you know, your, your problem, whatever it is, is like quiet. You say, just be quiet. But then when something happens that, is, that produces tension or, or is difficult, so that difficulty then it, it's there again. It's there again. So Yaakov Avinu said to his wives, Yaakov Avinu said to his wives, listen, Hasiru et asher, what's the next word? You're looking, right? What's the next? Bitochechem. So now there are two possible meanings of the word bitochechem. The first is in the area in which you live, like let's say each each person had their own tent or had their own their own talent amot, so that's betochechem. But the another possibility is that betochechem meant sorry, in your in your makeup, in your psyche, in like whoever you are. So Yaakov Avinu knew something. He knew something about the people he was with. I mean, they were all idolaters, lishavar, right? They were all idolaters once. So he said, you got to prepare yourself for this encounter in Beit El. And that preparation, that preparation for the encounter in Beit El is something that we cannot, that we cannot ignore. 
So, once you understand what I've just said, or if it sort of makes sense, it was I'm trying to say that there are two possible shots in the positive. Either the positive says everybody was running around with idolatry, with uh, with idols, and 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 worshiping idolatry, or Yaakov is saying something very profound about human nature and about the way people are and about changing, and and. and uh, and there's always a problem, you know, a problem that Bali Truva have, and the problem is Bali Truva have the problem. Not because they're not sincere. They could be sincere with Chetzi. But it's not easy to kind of just slough off your past. It doesn't work that way. You can read a novel, and you'll understand. Any novel. Any novel. You can't. You can't just deny your past. You could overcome it. You can change. You can. You could be different. Uh, you know, all the newspapers they're writing about this. Bebop uh, guy. My wife knows about this. What's his name? Shine, shine. Okay, you know, like it's a good story, but who knows? You know, who knows? Well, what? You don't read the Jerusalem Post? I don't read the Jews above, but somebody gave it to me. Right? His one? His great great grandfather was? Who's that? Terach? Terach, you mean? Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess it goes away after a while. It's not like growing up that way. I mean, Rachel and Leah grew up as idolaters. Where were the What? Well, also a good question. In other words, um, we'd have to revisit the Trafib to see what Rachel's involvement might have been. And even though she claimed that she did it only to, put her, to get it away from her father, but we pointed out that uh, if that was her interest, she could have broken them. So, uh, so anyway, there's another Pasuk in the Torah. You see, see the Pasuk here? This is like the most distressing posuk that there is in the entire Torah. In my opinion, of course. After you die, the Torah says, The people will then Go after Elohei Nechar Haaretz. Again, that, that combination of words, right? Elohei Nechar Haaretz. Asher hu bashama bekirbo vazavani vefered briti shekarati ito. So what sort of prophecy is this? Why should there be a prophecy that something is going to go wrong? That it's going to be bad? So you could say, you could say that that's what the, the Kodesh Bochu, what Kodesh Bochu is saying is, you know that Jewish history, Jewish history, as represented in the books of Yoshua and Shoftim. Remember those books at the beginning of the Nach, part of Nevi'im, right? Yoshua and Shoftim. Now if you, look, if you look at the book of Shoftim, Judges, where does the book of Shoftim take place? All, all of Shoftim. Where does the book of Shoftim take place, generally speaking? In the north. 
not in the south. If you see, do you see a map of Eretz Yisrael in front of your eyes? Can you imagine it? Like just close your eyes and see Eretz Yisrael. The middle, for the sake of this discussion, is Yerushalayim. Right? Everything to the north of Yerushalayim is called north, and everything to the south of Yerushalayim is called south. The book of Shoftim is about the north, and not about the south. The book of Shoftim itself explains why it's about the north and not about the south. And the book of Shoftim says that when Bnei Yisrael came to Eretz Yisrael, they were enjoined, they were directed, they were given a tzivui to rid Eretz Yisrael of the idolatrous populations. To get rid of them. In the south, in Yehuda, in Yehuda they did that. Except for the Plishtim. You know the Plishtim that we call that today? Gaza. Right? The Plishtim, they never could get rid of the Plishtim. I mean, they disappeared eventually. But not because the Jews drove them out. They just disappeared. So uh, the south, in Yehuda, they drove out the idolaters. And therefore, there's no story to tell in the south. But in the north, they did not drive the All the ten tribes in the north, the nine or the ten tribes, they did not drive the idolaters out of Eretz Yisrael. So they had an ongoing issue. Ongoing. It never stopped in the north of the somehow integrating Avodat Hashem with various idolatries that existed all over the place. So if we'll say, if we'll say as we said in Breshit, that Elohei Nechara Aretz is a reference to the inside of you, and not about a specific idolatry, but in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, uh, eventually it became a matter of specific idolatrous worship in Eretz Yisrael that the Jews were exposed to. And so the Torah says, the Torah says it's not that they're going to become idolatrous, that they're going to be worshipping idols. But the fact that in the northern kingdom, the north of Eretz Yisrael, they didn't drive out the idolatry, the idolatry and the idolatrous population, that will cause a kind of a, an undertow of idolatry that these people are going to have, not going to be able to deal with. And eventually, eventually as a result of that, the Jewish people was, was split into two. And the ten tribes were exiled from Eretz Israel by the Assyrians in 722 BC. As interesting, the Assyrians, they were not interested in the, the Yehuda part. Because the Yehuda people were, were not idolatrous. They, they didn't connect to them. They didn't think they'd be able to pull them out of Eretz Israel. So they only dealt with the people in the north. That's what the Pasuk might mean. The last 
The last reference on the page is the Rambam. You know the famous Rambam? The Rambam says that sometimes the Torah seems to imply that something has to happen. Everybody's going to become idolatrous, for example. So the Rambam explains that that's not the case. That it may be that the majority of the people will be idolatrous, but each individual will still maintain freedom of choice. It's not, it's not that Torah obligates me to become an idol, a worshiper of the idol. But since we don't have uh, uh, much time, I'd like to turn the page and look at uh, look at Rav Nachman Abraza. Before we turn the page, I'll just say, if we go back to the Pasuk, right, Pasuk Gimel. Pasuk Gimel says, V'nakuma v'na'ale beit el v'esesha mizbeach l'kel ha'one oti b'yom sarati v'ayihi imadi b'derech asher halachti This is what Yaakov says to his entourage. V'ayitnu You listening? V'ayitnu el Yaakov et kol Elohen ichar asher b'yadam So according to the Rabbeinu B'chai, according to the Medrash, Elohen ichar means they weren't idolatrous, but it was a chumrah. It was a chumrah that Yaakov Avinu invented for that moment. But then the pasuk says, "Asher biyadam, Asher biyadam ve'tanizamim, Asher bozdehem," and all of the what do you call those earrings? Earrings that were in their ears. Okay, earrings go in ears. Asher bozdehem, Asher bozdehem. But what is Yaakov and Kol Eloheh Necha Hashem Biyadam? So you're going to say Hashem Biyadam, that's the Hebrew way of saying that they, that they had them. It doesn't mean they were holding them in their hands. No. Hashem Biyadam, you know, they had it. They had it, as we say in English. They had this stuff, and they gave it to Yaakov Avinu. And then what did Yaakov Avinu do with it? He buried them. Uh, so you could see there's a raya if you assume that Yaakov didn't do the halacha. Yaakov is doing what the halacha wants him to do, so he wouldn't have buried it. He would have destroyed it. But since the, the objects, according to the Medrash, are not really objects of Odysseus, he just wanted to get them out of the way so that the people wouldn't have anything to do with it, so burying them would be, would be sufficient. Let's look at the, at the second page, the day There's a famous Torah of Rav Nachman of Bratzlov, called Chotam Betoch Chotam. It's about a Chotam. Chotam is, as I said before, it's like leaving an impression. And that, that idolatry, growing up in the house of idolatry, growing up wherever you grow up, always leaves an impression, right? Old people like me, I'm always amazed to see that I do things that my father's Zechrono did, which when I was a child, I thought they were silly. And here I am doing them myself. I still think they're silly, but I'm doing them. Right? You know, so it's very hard. It's very hard not to be affected by, by childhood um, events, by memories, I think. I mean, not that I, I, I mean, I've only bring myself as an example. That wouldn't be enough to create a theory, but I think that it's right. I think people, people, you know, like you see somebody's children, they walk like their parents, and they talk like their parents. Like, it's like funny. Like, how they, how they learn how to do that? And their parents do that funny. Like, they don't do it like everybody else. They do it in a funny way. The kids also do it. Because that's, that's their benchmark for everything. Like what the parents do. So even if the children are annoyed by what their parents do, that's what I meant to say, they end up doing it anyway. Like, but we're given the chance. They, 
They act like their parents. So that's what the what Rav Nachman is talking about. So he says, Chotam Chotam. There are deeper impressions. There are impressions, and there are deeper impressions. Hainu bechinot yadayim hamikablim musar me'elu hamochichim. He says, this is the middle, right? Uh, the, the part that we're learning is not the beginning of the Torah, but it's uh, somewhat into the Torah. So he said that there are mochichim, there are people who give musar, like the Nevi'im did once, and Rabbanim, in other words, the way Rabbi Nachman thinks, he has a posseg which connects yad, the word yad, hand, and chotam. Vayadayim zebechinat emunah. He says, what is yadayim? Yadayim is faith, emunah. Shinit kabel bahamusah. So the yadayim, the yadayim are the, the thing, when you give somebody something, you give somebody something, he doesn't take it with his foot. He usually takes it with his hand. So what if you give somebody an idea? You give somebody a, a, a thought. Or you give somebody, you give somebody faith. So according to this pasuk in Yeho, that somehow faith also goes into your hands. Goes into your hands. And he says, That the Dibe Hashem, this event of God speaking, was Moshe Rabbeinu grabbed it with his hands. We know Moshe Rabbeinu stood with his hands up the war against Amalek. It said, So the simple pshat is, they all looked, right? That's the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah. They looked up at Moshe Rabbeinu's hands and they said, oh, if Moshe Rabbeinu can do that for us, we can be filled with faith somehow. But means that if you looked at his hands, you saw his faith. You saw his, what he was. So that if you want to know the inside of a person, you have to look at where he grabs onto things. His head. That's what Nachman says. V'zachotam. Tzarech shmirai teirash eloyit kalkeh. So Rav Nachman knows something. He's onto something. Right? You know Rav Nachman? He was the ultimate psychologist of the Jewish people. He says, Zechotam. This impression. Tzarech shmirai teirash eloyit kalkeh. Because even if you come from a world of, of emunah, you have to understand that it's so precarious. That if somehow you get chinks in your armor, you know, I'm not going to say, like a person wants to compromise. Well, compromise about something. You're traveling, you're early, you're late, you have to daven, you don't have to daven. You know, everybody, we've all gone through all of this, all of this stuff, one way or the other. So, so it's like the word compromise comes up because you say, this is not real, I don't do this every day. This is not the way I live. So, okay. So I will put on food, I won't put on food. I will daven, I won't daven. I'll wash, or I won't wash, right? Everybody has, everybody has this idea that you can compromise. So Nachman says, he says, mitkalkel like emunah. Emunah has like externals. They're like the external things that we do because we have faith. If you like, let the, that armor get chinked, uh, chinked a little bit, is that a word? You get a chink in your armor, then you have to worry. The depths of faith. 
‫נקלקו לאכולתיו הפנימי ‫על ידי קלקול לאכולתיו החיצון ‫שהוא האמונה. ‫זה האופוסט ‫אבל יעקב אבינו סטרוס פמילי. ‫אלוהי מיכר הארץ, ‫הסירו, ‫בגלל זה הוא יהיה ‫אינסייד אוף יו. ‫ורב נחמן אומר, ‫אתה צריך להיות מאוד ‫שחס ושלום נתקלקל זה אחותם ‫והידיים, נעשה מזה כפירות. ‫ואז אנשים מתחילים לחשוב ‫דברים שהם האפיקורסים, There's, there has to be something that lets it in, like bad thinking. Yeah, it has to go into you from someplace. Once it goes in, and that's what Yadayim means. Yadayim is where, I mean, of course, you, you could create the metaphor, but Yadayim is where you grab things. If I give you something, you take it in your hand. And that's what Rav Nachman says, you have to be worried. Not about what's inside of you. You have to be worried about what's very far away from you, but you're willing to give it a try. We need to try, right? That's, a, that's a, you know, Rav Nachman, he was a non-compromiser. Uh, he was a non-compromiser. I mean, whatever, whatever his problems might have been, he didn't compromise. And so he says that if you compromise, then, you, with, then, then your hands, with your hands, it means just the, the external, the outside of you. It's not inside, but it gets inside. It bores into you. So we see. We see, I think, what I tried to show was that there are these two ideas. There's the idea that we can, we, we can explain the Pasuk of Yaakov Avinu talking to his family, Hasiru, at Elohanichar, Vitaharu, not as uh, a problem of halachic idolatry, but a question of before you go to Beit El, To meet the Kaddish Baruch who is protecting us and brought us back, we have to assume a higher level of, of purity and, and faith. That's emunah. That only, comes, that only comes if you get rid of all these external things that might remind you of something that you shouldn't be doing. Rav Nachman Abratzlov, he had the other idea. He said, even if you think you're all right, You have to be careful about making small compromises because small compromises, you make them with your hands. And even though your hands seem to be very far away from your body, right, you, know, you take something in your hand, it's not, like, it's not like philosophy. Nevertheless, that's the entree. That's, that lets it in. That lets it become part of your, uh, of your uh, uh, vision and, uh, and world view. So... Again, uh, and that's, uh, I guess, what the Pesach meant when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that B'nai Yisrael will become idolatrous. Idolatrous because they allowed themselves to let the idolatry remain in, uh, in uh, the northern part of Eretz Yisrael. Okay, there's an interesting Ibn Ezra that we didn't get to, but to some other time. Have a good Shabbos. Thank you.